Welcome to the Weird and Loathsome Podcast. I am your pseudonymous host, Brian K. DeVille. The following is the first of a two-part reading of The Bottle Imp by Robert Louis Stevenson. Enjoy. There was a man of the island of Hawaii, whom I shall call Kiawe, for the truth is, he still lives, and his name must be kept secret. But the place of his birth was not far from Haunaunau, where the bones of Kiawe the Great lie hidden in a cave. This man was poor, brave, and active. He could read and write like a schoolmaster. He was a first-rate mariner besides, sailed for some time in the island steamers, and steered a whaleboat on the Hamakawa coast. At length it came to Kiawe's mind to have a sight of the great world and foreign cities, and he shipped on a vessel to San Francisco. This is a fine town with a fine harbor and rich people uncountable, and, in particular, there is one hill which is covered with palaces. Upon this hill, Kauai was one day, taking a walk with his pocket full of money, viewing the great houses upon either hand with pleasure. What fine houses they are, he was thinking. And how happy must those people be who dwell in them, and take no care for the morrow. The thought was in his mind when he came abreast of a house that was smaller than some others, but all finished and beautified like a toy. The steps of that house shone like silver, and the borders of the garden bloomed like garlands, and the windows were bright like diamonds. And Kiawe stopped, and wondered at the excellence of all he saw. So stopping, he was aware of a man that looked forth upon him through a window so clear that Kiawe could see him as you see a fish in a pool upon the reef. The man was elderly, with a bald head and a black beard, and his face was heavy with sorrow, and he bitterly sighed. And the truth of it is, that as Kiawe looked in upon the man, and the man looked out upon Kiawe, each envied the other. All of a sudden the man smiled and nodded, and beckoned Kiawe to enter, and met him at the door of the house. This is a fine house of mine, said the man, and bitterly sighed. Would you not care to view the chambers? So he led Kiawe all over it, from the cellar to the roof, and there was nothing there that was not perfect of its kind, and Kiawe was astonished. Truly, said Kiawe, this is a beautiful house. If I lived in the like of it, I should be laughing all day long. How comes it, then, that you should be sighing? 
There is no reason, said the man, why you should not have a house in all points similar to this, and finer, if you wish. You have some money, I suppose? I have fifty dollars, said Kiawe. But a house like this will cost more than fifty dollars. The man made a computation. I am sorry you have no more, said he, for it may raise you trouble in the future. But it shall be yours at fifty dollars. The house? asked Kiawe. No. Not the house, replied the man. But the bottle. For I must tell you, although I appear to you so rich and fortunate, all my fortune, and this house itself, and its garden, came out of a bottle not much bigger than a pint. This is it. And he opened a lockfast place, and took out a round-bellied bottle with a long neck. The glass of it was white like milk, with changing rainbow colors in the grain. With insides something obscurely moved, like a shadow and a fire. This is the bottle, said the man. And when Kiawe laughed, You do not believe me, he added. Try then for yourself. See if you can break it. So Kiawe took up the bottle and dashed it on the floor till he was weary. But it jumped on the floor like a child's ball and was not injured. This is a strange thing, said Kiawe, for by the touch of it, as well as by the look, the bottle should be glass. Glass it is, replied the man, sighing more heavily than ever, but the glass of it was tempered in the flames of hell. An imp lives in it, and that is the shadow we behold there moving, or so I suppose. If any man buy this bottle, the imp is at his command. All that he desires, love, fame, money, houses like this house, eh, or a city like this city, are all his at the word uttered. Napoleon had this bottle, and by it he grew to be the king of the world. But he sold it at the last and fell. Captain Cook had this bottle, and by it he found his way to so many islands. But he too sold it, and was slain upon Hawaii. For once it is sold, the power goes and the protection. Unless a man remain content with what he has, ill will befall him. And yet you talk of selling it yourself, Kiawe said. I have all I wish, and I am growing elderly, replied the man. There is one thing the imp cannot do. He cannot prolong life, and it would not be fair to conceal from you there is a drawback to the bottle, for if a man die before he sells it, he must burn in hell forever. To be sure, that is a drawback and no mistake, 
cried Kiawe. I would not meddle with the thing. I can do without a house, thank God. But there is one thing I could not be doing with one particle, and that is to be damned. Dear me, you must not run away with things, returned the man. All you have to do is use the power of the imp in moderation, and then sell it to someone else, as I do to you, and finish your life in comfort. Well, I observe two things, said Kiawe. All the time you keep sighing like a maid in love. That is one. And for the other, you sell this bottle very cheap. I have told you already why I sigh, said the man. It is because I fear my health is breaking up. And as you said yourself, to die and go to the devil is a pity for anyone. As for why I sell so cheap, I must explain to you there is a peculiarity about the bottle. Long ago, when the devil brought it first upon earth, it was extremely expensive, and was sold first of all to Prester John for many millions of dollars. But it cannot be sold at all, unless sold at a loss. If you sell it for as much as you paid for it, back it comes to you again like a homing pigeon. It follows that the price has kept falling in these centuries, and the bottle is now remarkably cheap. I bought it myself from one of my great neighbors on this hill, and the price I paid was only ninety dollars. I could sell it for as high as eighty-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents, but not a penny dearer, or back the thing must come to me. Now, about this there are two bothers. First, when you offer a bottle so singular for eighty-odd dollars, people suppose you to be jesting. And second, but there is no hurry about that, and I need not go into it. Only remember, it must be coined money that you sell it for. How am I to know that this is all true? asked Kiawe. Some of it you can try at once, replied the man. Give me your fifty dollars. Take the bottle, and wish your fifty dollars back into your pocket. If that does not happen, I pledge you my honor. I will cry off the bargain and restore your money. You are not deceiving me, said Kiawe. The man bound himself with a great oath. Well, I will risk that much, said Kiawe for that can do no harm. And he paid over his money to the man, and the man handed him the bottle. Imp of the bottle, said Kiawe. I want my fifty dollars back. And sure enough, he had scarce said the word before his pocket was as heavy as ever. To be sure, this is a wonderful bottle, said Kiawe. And now, good morning to you, my fine fellow, and the devil go with you for me, said the man. Hold on, said Kiawe. 
I don't want any more of this fun. Here, take your bottle back. You have bought it for less than I paid for it, replied the man, rubbing his hands. It is yours now, and for my part, I am only concerned to see the back of you. And with that, he rang for his Chinese servant, and had Kiawe shown out of the house. Now, when Kiawe was in the street, with the bottle under his arm, he began to think, If all this is true about this bottle, I may have made a losing bargain, thinks he. But perhaps the man was only fooling me. The first thing he did was to count his money. The sum was exact, $49 American money and one chili piece. That looks like the truth, said Kiawe. Now I will try another part. The streets in that part of the city were as clean as a ship's decks, and though it was noon, there were no passengers. Kiawe set the bottle in the gutter and walked away. Twice he looked back, and there was the milky, round-bellied bottle where he left it. A third time he looked back and turned a corner, but he had scarce done so when something knocked upon his elbow, and behold, it was the long neck sticking up, and as for the round belly, it was jammed into the pocket of his pilot coat. And that looks like the truth, said Kiawe. The next thing he did was to buy a corkscrew in a shop and go apart into a secret place in the fields. And there he tried to draw the cork, but as often as he put the screw in, out it came again, and the cork as whole as ever. This is some new sort of cork, said Kiawe, and all at once he began to shake and to sweat, for he was afraid of that bottle. On his way back to the port side, he saw a shop where a man sold shells and clubs from the wild islands, old heathen deities, old coined money, pictures from China and Japan, and all manner of things that sailors bring to their sea chests. And here he had an idea. So he went in and offered the bottle for a hundred dollars. The man of the shop laughed at him at first, and offered him five. But indeed, it was a curious bottle. Such glass was never blown in any human glassworks. So prettily the colors shone under the milky white, and so strangely the shadow hovered in the mist. So, after he had disputed a while after the manner of his kind, the shopman gave Kiawe sixty silver dollars for the thing, and set it on a shelf in the midst of his window. Now, said Kiawe, I have sold that for sixty which I bought for fifty. So, to say truth, a little less, because one of my dollars was from Chile. Now, I shall know the truth upon another point. And so he went back on board his ship, and when he opened his chest, there was the bottle. 
and had come more quickly than himself. Now, Kiawei had a mate on board whose name was Lopaka. What ails you? said Lopaka. That you stare into your chest. They were alone in the ship's forecastle, and Kiawe bound him to secrecy and told all. This is a very strange affair, said Lopaka, and I fear you will be in trouble about this bottle. But there is one point very clear, that you are sure of the trouble, and you had better have the profit in the bargain. Make up your mind what you want with it. Give the order, and if it is done as you desire, I will buy the bottle myself, for I have an idea of my own, to get a schooner and go trading through the islands. That is not my idea, said Kiawe, but to have a beautiful house and a garden on the Kona coast where I was born, the sun shining in at the door, flowers in the garden, glass in the windows, pictures on the walls, and toys and fine carpets on the tables, for all the world, like the house I was in this day, only a story higher, and with balconies, all about like the king's palace, and to live there without care and make merry with my friends and relatives. Well, said Lupaka, let us carry it back with us to Hawaii. And if all comes true, as you suppose, I will buy the bottle, as I said, and ask Schooner. Upon that they were agreed, and it was not long before the ship returned to Honolulu, carrying Kuyawe and Lopaka, and the bottle. They were scarce come ashore when they met a friend upon the beach, who began at once to condole with Kiawe. I do not know what I am to be condoled about, said Kiawe. Is it possible you have not heard, said the friend. Your uncle, that good old man, is dead, and your cousin, that beautiful boy, was drowned at sea. Kiawe was filled with sorrow, and beginning to weep and lament, he forgot about the bottle. But Lopako was thinking to himself, and presently, when Kiawe's grief was a little abated. I have been thinking, said Lopaka. Had not your uncle lands in Hawaii, in the district of Kau? No, said Kiawe, not in Kau. They are on the mountainside, a little way south of Hukina. These lands will be yours? asked Lopaka. And so they will, said Kiawe, and began again to lament for his relatives. No, said Lopaka, do not lament at present. I have a thought in my mind. How if this should be the doing of the bottle? For here is the place ready for your house. If this be so, cried Kiawe, it is a very ill way to serve me by killing my relatives. But it may be indeed, for it was in such a station that I saw the house with my mind's eye. The house, however, is not yet built, said Lopaka. Nor likely to be, said Kiawe, 
for though my uncle has some coffee and ava and bananas, it will not be more than will keep me in comfort, and the rest of that land is the black lava. Let us go to the lawyer, said Lopaka. I have still this idea in my mind. Now, when they came to the lawyers, it appeared Kiawe's uncle had grown monstrous rich in the last days, and there was a fund of money. And here's the money for the house, cried Lopaka. If you're thinking of a new house, said the lawyer, here is the card of a new architect of whom they tell me great things. Better and better, cried Lopaka. Here is all made plain for us. Let us continue to obey orders. So they went to the architect, and he had drawings of houses on his table. You want something out of the way, said the architect. How do you like this? And he handed a drawing to Kiawe. Now, when Kiawe set eyes on the drawing, he cried out aloud, for it was the picture of his thought exactly drawn. I am for this house, thought he. Little as I like the way it comes to me, I am in for it now, and I may as well take the good along with the evil. So he told the architect all that he wished, and how he would have that house furnished, and about the pictures on the walls, and the knick-knacks on the tables, and he asked the man plainly for how much he would undertake the whole affair. The architect put many questions, and took his pen and made a computation, and when he had done, he named the very sum that Kiawe had inherited. Lopaka and Kiawe looked at one another and nodded. It is quite clear, thought Kiawe, that I am to have this house, whether or no. It comes from the devil, and I fear I will get little good by that, and of one thing I am sure, I will make no more wishes as long as I have this bottle. But with the house I am saddled, and I may as well take the good along with the evil. So he made his terms with the architect and they signed a paper, and Kiawe and Lopaka took ship again and sailed to Australia, for it was concluded between them that they should not interfere at all, but leave the architect and the bottle imp to build and adorn that house at their own pleasure. The voyage was a good voyage, only all the time Kiawe was holding in his breath, for he had sworn he would utter no more wishes and take no more favors from the devil. The time was up when they go back. The architect told them that the house was ready, and Kiawe and Lopaka took a passage in the hall and went down Kona Way to view the house and see if all had been done fitly according to the thought that was in Kiawe's mind. Now the house stood on the mountainside, visible to ships. Above, the forest ran up into the clouds of rain, Below, the black lava fell in cliffs, where the kings of old lay buried. A garden bloomed about that house with every hue of flowers, and there was an orchard of papaya on the one hand, 
and an orchard of breadfruit on the other, and right in front, toward the sea, a ship's mast had been rigged up and bore a flag. As for the house, it was three stories high, with great chambers and broad balconies on each. The windows were of glass, so excellent that it was clear as water and as bright as day. All manner of furniture adorned the chambers, pictures hung upon the wall in golden frames, pictures of ships and men fighting and of the most beautiful women and of singular places. Nowhere in the world are there pictures of so bright a color as those Kiawe found hanging in his house. As for the knickknacks, they were extraordinary fine. Chiming clocks and musical boxes, little men with nodding heads, books filled with pictures, weapons of price from all quarters of the world, and the most elegant puzzles to entertain the leisure of a solitary man. And as no one would care to live in such chambers, only to walk through and view them, the balconies were made so broad that a whole town might have lived upon them in delight, and Kiawe knew not which to prefer, whether the back porch, where you get the land breeze, and looked upon the orchards and flowers, or the front balcony, where you could drink the wind of the sea, and look down the steep wall of the mountain, and see the hall going by once a week or so, between Kukina and the hills of Pele or the schooners plying up the coast for wood and ava and bananas. When they had viewed all, Kiawe and Lopaka sat on the porch. Well, asked Lopaka, is it all as you designed? Words cannot utter it, said Kiawe. It is better than I dreamed, and I am sick with satisfaction. There is but one thing to consider, said Lopaka. All this may be quite natural, and the bottle imp have nothing whatever to say to it. If I were to buy the bottle and got no schooner after all, I should have put my hand in the fire for nothing. I gave you my word, I know. But yet I think you would not grudge me one more proof. I have sworn I would take no more favors, said Kiawe. I have gone deep enough already. This is no favor I am thinking of, replied Lopaka. It is only to see the imp himself. There is nothing to be gained by that, and so nothing to be ashamed of. And yet, if I once saw him, I should be sure of the whole matter. So indulge me so far, and let me see the imp. And after that, Here's the money in my hand, and I will buy it. There is only one thing I am afraid of, said Kiawe. The imp may be very ugly to view, and if you once set eyes upon him, you might be very undesirous of the bottle. I am a man of my word, said Lopaka, and here is the money betwixt us. Very well replied Kiawe. I have a curiosity myself, so come, let us have one look at you, Mr. Imp. Now as soon as that was said, the imp looked out of the bottle, 
and in again, swift as a lizard. And there sat Kiawe and Lopaka, turned to stone. The night had quite come before either found a thought to say or a voice to say it with. And then Lopaka pushed the bunny over and took the bottle. I am a man of my word, said he, and had need to be so or I would not touch this bottle with my foot. Well, I shall get my schooner and a dollar or two for my pocket, and then I will be rid of this devil as fast as I can. For to tell you the plain truth, the look of him has cast me down. Lopaka, said Kiawe, do not you think any worse of me than you can help. I know it is night, and the roads hard, and the pass by the tombs an ill place to go by so late. But I declare, since I have seen that little face, I cannot eat or sleep or pray till it is gone from me. I will give you a lantern and a basket to put the bottle in, and any picture or fine thing in all my house that takes your fancy, and be gone at once, and go sleep at Hukina with Nahinu. Kiawe, said Lopaka, many a man would take this ill, above all when I am doing you a turn so friendly as to keep my word and buy the bottle, and for that matter the night and the dark and the way by the tombs must be all tenfold more dangerous to a man with such a sin upon his conscience and such a bottle under his arm. But for my part, I am extremely terrified myself. I have not the heart to blame you. Here I go, then, and I pray God you may be happy in your house, and I, fortunate with my schooner, and both get to heaven in the end, in spite of the devil and his bottle. So Lopaka went down the mountain, and Kiawe stood in his front balcony, and listened to the clink of the horse's shoes, and watched the lantern go shining down the path, along the cliff of caves where the old dead are buried. And all the time he trembled, and clasped his hands, and prayed for his friend, and gave glory to God that he himself had escaped out of that trouble. But the next day came very brightly, and that new house of his was so delightful to behold that he forgot his terrors. One day followed another, and Kiawe dwelt there in perpetual joy. He had his place on the back porch. It was there he ate and lived and read the stories in the Honolulu newspapers. But when anyone came by, they would go in and view the chambers and the pictures, and the fame of the house went far and wide. It was called Kahale Nui, the Great House, and all Kona, and sometimes the Bright House, for Kiawe kept a Chinaman who was all day dusting and furbishing, and the glass and the gilt and all the fine stuffs and the pictures shone as bright as the morning. As for Kiawe himself, could not walk in the chambers without singing, his heart was so enlarged. And when ships sailed by upon the sea, he would fly his colors on the mast. And so time went by, 
until one day Kiawe went upon a visit as far as Kailua to certain of his friends, and there he was well feasted, and left as soon as he could the next morning and rode hard, for he was impatient to behold his beautiful house, and besides, the night then coming on was the night in which the dead of old days go abroad in the sides of Kona, and having already meddled with the devil, he was the more wary of meeting with the dead. A little beyond, how now now, looking far ahead, he was aware of a woman bathing in the edge of the sea, and she seemed a well-grown girl, but he thought no more of it. Then he saw her white shift flutter as she put it on, and then her red holoku, and by the time he came abreast of her, she was done with her toiletries, and come up from the sea, and stood by the trackside in her red holoku, and was all freshened with the bath, and her eyes shone and were kind. Now Kiawe no sooner beheld her than he drew rein. I thought I knew everyone in this country, said he. How comes it that I don't know you? I am Kokua, daughter of Kianu, said the girl, and I have just returned from Oahu. Who are you? I will tell you who I am in a little, said Kiawe, dismounting from his horse. But not now. For I have a thought in my mind, and if you knew who I was, you might have heard of me and would not give me a true answer. But tell me this, first of all, one thing. Are you married? At this, Kokua laughed out loud. It is you who asks questions, said she. Are you married yourself? Indeed, Kokua, I am not, replied Kiawe and never thought to be until this hour. But here is the plain truth. I have met you here at the roadside, and I saw your eyes, which are like the stars, and my heart went to you as swift as a bird. And so now, if you want none of me, say so, and I will go on to my own place. But if you think me no worse than any other young man, say so too and I will turn aside to your father's for the night, and tomorrow I will talk with the good man. Kokua never said a word, but she looked at the sea and laughed. Kokua, said Kiawe, if you say nothing, I will take that for the good answer, so let us be stepping to your father's door. She went on ahead of him, still without speech, only sometimes she glanced back and glanced away again, and she kept the string of her hat in her mouth. Now, when they had come to the door, Kianu came out on his veranda and cried out and welcomed Kiawe by name. At that the girl looked over, for the fame of the great house had come to her ears, and to be sure it was a great temptation. All that evening they were very merry together, and the girl was as bold as brass under the eyes of her parents, and made a mock of Kiawe, 
for she had a quick wit. The next day he had a word with Keanu and found the girl alone. Kokua, said he, you made a mock of me all this evening, and it is still time to bid me go. I would not tell you who I was, because I have so fine a house, and I feared you would think too much of that house and too little of the man that loves you. Now you know all, and if you wish to have seen the last of me, say so at once. No, said Kokua, but this time she did not laugh, nor did Kiawe ask for more. This was the wooing of Kiawe. Things had gone quickly, but so an arrow goes, and the ball of a rifle swifter still, and yet both may strike the target. Things had gone fast, but they had gone far also, and the thought of Kiawe rang in the maiden's head. She heard his voice in the breach of the surf upon the lava, and for this young man that she had seen but twice, she would have left father and mother and her native islands. As for Kiawe himself, his horse flew up the path of the mountain under the cliff of tombs, and the sound of the hoofs, and the sound of Kiawe singing to himself for pleasure echoed in the caverns of the dead. He came to the bright house, and still he was singing. He sat and ate in the broad balcony, and the Chinaman wondered at his master to hear how he sang between the mouthfuls. The sun went down into the sea, and the night came, and Kiawe walked the balconies by lamplight, high on the mountains, and the voice of his singing startled men on the ships. Here am I now upon my high place, he said to himself. Life may be no better. This is the mountain top, and all shelves about me towards the worst. For the first time, I will light up the chambers and bathe in my fine bath with the hot water and the cold, and sleep alone in the bed of my bridal chamber. So the Chinaman had word that he must rise from sleep and light the furnaces, and as he wrought below, beside the boilers, he heard his master singing and rejoicing above him in the lighted chambers. When the water began to be hot, the Chinaman cried to his master, and Kiawe went into the bathroom. And the Chinaman heard him sing as he filled the marble basin, and heard him sing, and the singing broken, as he undressed, until all of a sudden the song ceased. The Chinaman listened and listened. He called up the house to Kiawe to ask if all were well, and Kiawe answered him, Yes, and bade him go to bed. But there was no more singing in the bright house, and all night long the Chinaman heard his master's feet go round and round the balconies without repose. Now the truth of it was this. As Kiawe undressed for his bath, he spied upon his flesh a patch like a patch of lichen on a rock, and it was then that he stopped singing. For he knew the likeness of that patch, and knew that he had fallen in the Chinese evil. 
Now it is a sad thing for any man to fall into this sickness, and it would be a sad thing for anyone to leave a house so beautiful and so commodious, and to depart from all his friends to the north coast of Molokai, between the high mighty cliffs and the sea breakers. But that was the case of the man Kiawe, he who had met his love but yesterday, and won her but that morning, and now saw all his hopes break in a moment, like a piece of glass. A while he sat upon the edge of the bath, then sprang with a cry and ran outside, and to and fro, and to and fro along the balcony, like one despairing. Very willingly could I leave Hawaii, the home of my fathers, Kiawe was thinking. Very lightly could I leave my house, the high-placed, the many-windowed here upon the mountains. Very bravely could I go to Molokai, to Kalaupapa by the cliffs, to live with the smitten and to sleep there far from my fathers. But what wrong have I done? What sin lies upon my soul? that I should have encountered Kokua coming cool from the sea water in the evening. Kokua, the soul ensnarer. Kokua, the light of my life. Her may I never wed. Her may I look upon no longer. Her may I no more handle with my living hand. And it is for this. It is for you, O oh Kokua that I pour my lamentations. Now you are to observe what sort of man Kiawe was, for he might have dwelt there in the bright house for years, and no one been the wiser of his sickness. But he reckoned nothing of that, if he must lose Kokua, and again he might have wed Kokua even as he was, and so many would have done, because they have the souls of pigs, but Kiawe loved the maid manfully, and he would do her no hurt and bring her in no danger. A little beyond the mist of the night, there came in his mind the recollection of that bottle. He went round to the back porch and called to memory the day when the devil had looked forth, and at the thought ice ran in his veins. A dreadful thing is the bottle, thought Kiawe, and dreadful is the imp, and it is a dreadful thing to risk the flames of hell, but what other hope do I have to cure the sickness or wed Kokua? What, he thought, would I beard the devil once, only to get me a house and not face him again to win Kokua? Thereupon he called to mind, it was the next day the hall went by on her return to Honolulu. There must I go first, he thought, and see Lopaka, for the best hope that I have now is to find that same bottle I was so pleased to be rid of. Never a wink could he sleep, the food stuck in his throat, but he sent a letter to Kiano, 
and about the time when the steamer would be coming, rode down beside the cliff of the tombs. The proceeding has been part one of a two-part reading of The Bottled Imp by Robert Louis Stevenson, initially published in 1891. Having secured his fortune and his beautiful home, and found the love of his life, our protagonist, Kiawe, is now set on a path to retrieve the devilish bottle which he had promised himself never to use. In the conclusion of part two, which airs in a fortnight from the publication of this episode, we will see how and whether Kiawe can retrieve the bottle, at what cost, and whether or not he is successful of ridding himself of the plague of leprosy which he has contracted. And so at this act break we see that the monkey paws nature of the bottle imp has begun to rear its head. This is a classic suspense slash horror tale, and I'm very much looking forward to spending time after the conclusion examining the origins of the plot and the implications of the mechanics of the bottle imp. For this week, however, I would just like to make a few editorial notes. It is a very interesting bit of trivia regarding this story, that while it was composed by Stevenson, born in Scotland and a citizen of the UK in the Victorian era, it is reportedly originally published in a Samoan language newspaper, and it was originally published in the Samoan language. To some extent, the text as presented here serves as an author's transliteration of a story presented for a Polynesian-speaking audience and in the Polynesian language. Bearing this in mind, I have made the choice to retain some of the language that reflects this origin, including some language which is outdated and insensitive to the point of being fairly considered derogatory. That is a considered choice on my part, although I cannot make any pretensions to being an authority on the subject, but in the same way that I made an effort to properly pronounce the words of foreign derivation, I also decided that it was a fair choice to restrain Stevenson's understanding of what the words uh, are and should be. It doesn't make the language unproblematic, but I believe that it's also fair to consider that Stevenson used the terms as they were in the lexicon of his time and without a derogatory intent. Stevenson himself was worldly and cosmopolitan in the society of late 19th century United Kingdom and was relatively progressive. However, being relatively progressive and cosmopolitan in the Victorian era virtually assures that it will be seen as wildly outdated, pro-colonialist, and condescending to have an author engage with cultures so starkly distinct from their own. Next week I will talk a little bit more about the origins of the bottle imp mechanics in folklore. But for this week, it is worth mentioning that this is a fable brought by Stevenson to an audience of Pacific Islanders, meant to be culturally inclusive, but 
Unsurprisingly, it can't help but seem condescending that he excluded any indigenous points of view in composing the piece, and that he took it upon himself to inject this fable onto a culture without any consideration of the possibility, and in fact the reality, that there is a pre-existing body of literature for those native peoples. I have made an effort to be conscientious in presenting this story more or less as is, but I'm certainly not without fault or biases of my own, and I would be interested in hearing from other points of view. I've been your host, Brian K. DeVille, and I hope you enjoyed this weird and loathsome podcast. Incidentally, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please do rate and review the show on whichever podcatching platform you found it. But first, I hope that you would recommend the weird and loathsome podcast to any of your friends, loved ones, or enemies in need of additional horror and suspense in uncertain times. If this episode in particular, or any episode at all of the show, has left you with any questions, comments, or thoughts on your mind, please feel free to reach out to me via email at briankdeville at gmail.com, the spelling of which is in the episode description. And thank you once again for listening to the Weird and Loathsome Podcast. Podcast.